The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Language and content in this episode may not be appropriate for all listeners. Listener discretion is strongly advised. Some voices may come from voice actors, but the words are accurate to the interview described. If you were given a magic wand in one of these cold cases, what you'd ask for is not a missing piece of evidence or a note-taking eyewitness. What you'd ask for is one of the victims to come back to life so you could ask them what happened and crack the case in one sweeping breakthrough. You'd have all the details, maybe not motive or planning, but a first-hand account of the crime itself. Oh yeah, and the victim would no longer be dead. And if you ever asked for such a thing while investigating a cold case, someone would gently, or maybe not so gently, remind you that that is impossible. Of course it's impossible, but it's also exactly what happened in the case of the Redhead Murders. In pitch darkness, shortly after 2am, Jane Doe number 7 stumbled into the median of I-40, near Junction 58, in Kingston, Tennessee. The strangling had ruptured the blood vessels in her eyes and rendered her virtually blind, though only temporarily. Her hearing was also damaged by the astronomical physical stress of her murder. She was in the middle of one of the nation's largest interstates, but with her senses so compromised, she had absolutely no idea where she was. She had a wide red ligature mark around her neck and all the bruising and trauma of strangling visible in her face. To all witnesses on the interstate that night, her appearance was as jarring and unlikely as a still-dead walking corpse. She only knew that she was near a culvert as she woke up in one, in a pile of leaves. She could hear something like traffic whirling somewhere overhead and began to climb toward what she thought might be a light. In the least, it felt less dark. So, she crawled out of that hole, seeing nothing and hearing little, until she reached the smooth surface of asphalt. She stood up and walked 
with her hands out in front of her, like a Hollywood zombie, through possible traffic, still toward the light. And suddenly, there was grass again beneath her feet. The medium. At this point, she felt the lights of passing vehicles and began waving her arms for help. The police took her statement that morning, and a few months later, the case went to trial. And fortunately for all of us, she had no doubt whatsoever as to the identity of her killer, a long-haul trucker named Jerry Johns. Rather than telling the rest of her story, we're going to let her speak for herself. The rest of this episode consists of her testimony on the afternoon of July the 10th, 1986. We'll offer limited commentary here and there, but for the most part, you'll hear directly from her. You'll do this with the help of a voice actress, as no recording devices are allowed in courtrooms, and we would never ask Linda to relive any of this. As you listen, keep in mind just how unusual this is. This is the kind of insight we rarely get into the way that serial killers operate, as their victims are often the only witnesses to their crimes and their victims almost never get away. Even Linda didn't get away. The killer did what he had done to the other women and left her only when he knew she was dead. Only somehow, and no one knows how, she wasn't dead. When he felt the last wisp of her life leave her body, it continued to flicker in some undetectable part of her. She thought she was dead too. And the fact that she wandered onto I-40 a half hour later is still a bit of a mystery. But she did stagger back into the community of the living. And this is her story. Would you state your name for the first record and spell your last name? S-C-H-A-C-K-E Mr. Shack. What do you do for a living now? Uh, I sell lemonade. Where are you selling that? Florida. Back on March the 5th and 6th of 1985, where were you working? At Catch One Club. And what did you do there? I was a dancer. Okay. Calling your attention to March the 5th, 1985... Were you working that particular day? Yes. Okay. Do you recall what shift you were working? Uh, the first shift. It was, uh, I went in at 3.30 and got off at 11. And during that time, did you meet anybody during your shift? I met Mr. Johns. Okay. What did he look like at that time? One was, his hair was much longer and wavy. He didn't look like he sits in the courtroom today. No, he had a mustache or beard or something. He had, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure, a mustache, a beard or something. That is the individual that you met sitting next to Mr. Fells, is that correct? Yes, sir. Was anybody with him? Uh, his brother. And what did his brother look like? He was missing an arm. Did you have any conversations with Mr. Jones and his brother? Yes, I had, uh, I sat down with Jerry Johns and talked to him. 
Did his brother say much during this time? No, just a very few words. He sometimes answered a sentence, yes or no. What did Jerry Johns talk to you about? Uh, it was, we, he asked, we talked about meeting, leaving and going to a motel. Okay, and what was the purpose of your meeting and going to a motel? To turn a trick. To engage in an act of prostitution? Is that correct? Yes. And who initiated that conversation? Did you initiate it, or did Mr. Johns initiate it? Uh, he did. Did you have a discussion about turning a trick, as you put it? Yes, we talked about it. He... Tell the jury what you talked about. He asked if... He asked me how much, and I said $300. And what did he say after you said $300? He said that was too much. Did he make any offers to you? Uh, I don't know, but I, I, I think he said $100. I can't remember exactly, but I said, well, $200 then. Did he agree to pay you that amount? Yes, sir. Okay. What did he do after he agreed to pay you that amount? He took $200 bills and tore them in half and gave me two halves and kept the other two halves and said that I would get them when I showed up. Now, the two halves that he tore in half, were they the same halves or were they halves to two different $100 bills? They, I mean, he just took two of them and ripped them in half and gave me two and kept two. Okay. Did you have any other conversations with him? We talked about a lot of little things, just small talk, I don't know. What kind of small talk? Uh, he, he said something about he was a real, a real famous person, and uh, he said he was in Fortune 500 magazine, and he said he owned some trucks, and uh, he wanted to know if I had a friend for his brother. Okay, and what purpose did he want a friend for his brother? The same reason. Okay, and what did you tell him? Well, just at that time, Shannon walked in the door, and I said, uh, well, I looked around to find one, and he didn't like the girls that were there, and then a little while later, you know, that Shannon walked in, and uh, I said, how about her? And I called her over to the table, and he said, yeah. Okay, and did he reach any agreement with her in your presence? Uh, the same thing, the $200. He took another $200 and tore them in half. Now, did you reach any type of or have any discussion about how you were going to meet him in a motel? Uh, yeah. He said, did we know any motels that had music stereo systems in it? And we talked about different motels, and uh, he said, uh, we told him, uh, I told him I got off at 11, and that she would try to get off at the same time, and that they would just come back, and we could follow them to wherever they were going, that they could go get them a motel while we were finishing work, that we had to work our shift. Okay. And did they leave? Yeah. And did you later see Mr. Johns again? Yeah, they came back about 10.30.
Okay, and then by they, who do you mean? Him and his brother. And when they came back at 10.30, did you have any more conversation? Uh, he did say, are you ready to go? And I said, yeah. And Shannon wasn't able to leave then. She, they wouldn't let her leave till 12.30, so... Okay, what did you do? I went and got dressed and got my things, and I told him that, uh... I would have to follow him, and we had to be real discreet because we weren't allowed to leave with a customer. Okay, and you told him that right there, didn't you? Yeah. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Okay, now you say you got dressed. How were you dressed when you worked? And what did you wear when you worked at Catch One? I wore an outfit, a little bathing suit type outfit. Okay, and what did you put on when you got dressed? Okay, a pair of jeans. He had told me earlier the first time he came by, he said he asked me if we would dance for him, if I would dance for him when I got to the room, and that he liked this blue outfit that I had on, and would I keep it on, would I wear it in the room? So I left it on and just put my jeans over the top of the outfit I had on. Okay, did you wear anything else? A t-shirt and tennis shoes and a leather jacket. Now, while you were there at Catch One, did you have any conversations concerning drugs with Mr. Johns? Yeah, he uh, asked if uh, I liked to do cocaine, and I said yes. And he said, did I know where I could get any? And I said, well, I didn't know, I'd try. And he said, well, if I could get some and bring it with me, that he would reimburse me for the drugs. And then he also asked for marijuana, he said, and I know where I could get a joint or two, and if I did, he would reimburse me for those too. Now, was this before or after you had all reached an agreement concerning the act of prostitution? It was after. It was after he had already given you the money? Is that correct? Yes. Now, around what time was it when you left Catch? About 11. Okay, and what did you do? Uh, I started, I went and got in my car and started out of the parking lot, and he was already started out of the parking lot in his truck. Okay, what kind of vehicle was he in? A white truck with Texas tags. And what about his brother? His brother was in an old car. Uh, I don't know what kind it was, just an old car. Okay, what kind of car were you driving? A blue 280ZX. And approximately, how much was the car worth? Uh, $15,000. What did you do then? Uh, I started, I got behind Jerry Johns in the truck, and then his brother got behind me in the car, and we drove to the Holiday Inn on Dale Avenue. Okay, how many Holiday Inns did you pass before you got to the Holiday Inn on Dale Avenue? I know we passed the one 
One, I mean, I thought that we were going to go to the one on the World's Fair site, and I was. If I hadn't followed him, I would have went to the wrong place. I know that. Now, what did you do when you got to the Holiday Inn at Dale Avenue? Uh, we parked and went up to the rooms, and... Do you recall what room numbers they were in? Uh, they were right next to each other, something like 305 and 306 or something. I can't remember exactly, but they were right next to each other. Okay, and what happened next? Uh, the three of us had walked up together, and we went to the first room, and Jerry told his brother that he said, uh, I'll come back and get you when it is time to go get Shannon. And he said, well, just call me. And me and Jerry walked over to his room next door and went in. What did you do after you got inside the room? We sat and talked, and he... We had talked about drinks already. He had... He asked what kind of drinks we had wanted to have, and we had agreed on vodka and orange juice. So he had brought some vodka and orange juice, so I fixed a drink, or he did, I can't. One of us fixed a drink apiece and just sat down and started talking, and then uh, we ordered a pizza. Did the pizza come? Yeah, it came, and they brought Cokes with it, so uh, I just sat and drank a Coke, and we ate a piece of pizza. What happened then? Then he said he was going to take a shower, so he went into the shower. Well, he had a... When he went in, he had the briefcase. He sat down and he... Did he take the briefcase in from the truck, or was it already in the room, or do you remember? I don't remember. I just remember when he sat the suitcase that he said... He said, uh, I'm... I don't want to scare you, but... And then he started telling me that he was, uh that he uh, was a Texas Ranger and said uh, I, uh, he was undercover and he was on a drug bust. This was his, he was on a big drug bust they were going to have here in town and he had this gun in his pants and he said, I've got to put, I don't want to scare you. He said, this is just, they make me carry this gun. And he put it inside the briefcase and locked it before he went and took a shower. He took it out of his pants? Uh-huh. Now, Linda, were you wearing any jewelry at the time you went up to his room? No, sir. I took it all off and put it uh, in my bag. I carry a bag with my clothes in it, and I had put it in the bag. And were you carrying any money with you when you went up to the room? No, I took my money and hid it in my car. What about the two halves of the $100 bills? Where were they when you went up to the room? I hid them. I took, I hid them in the car too. I hid my money one place and the two half $100 bills in another place. And all of that was in your car? Uh-huh. Now, he went in. Did he take a shower? Yeah, he went and took a shower. And what did you do when he was taking a shower? I got undressed and got in bed. Did he subsequently get out of the shower? Uh-huh. What happened then? He came in and uh, we had sex. Now, in you having sex, did you have any discussions with him concerning your appearance? Uh, we talked about my hair and he noticed that my hair had been dyed. And he also noticed that I had had a boob job, 
And he also talked about the tattoo that I have got on my bottom. And he talked about a few little stretch marks I have got on my side, on, on my sides. Now, in what way did he talk about these? He was, he said he wanted, he didn't like the idea, my boobs, having a boob job. He wanted to know why I had it done. And he said, it's a shame that I had had it done. And he said, uh, he, he just mentioned the fact, something about my hair that it didn't match, match, it, it, it didn't match. And, uh, what color was in your hair? It had sort of a red tint to it, and uh, he said I should, something about the stretch marks, that they could be sanded off or something with some sort of surgery where you can sand them off. Now, you mentioned that you engaged in sex. What exactly did you do? Uh, uh, well, we had, I had, we had oral sex, and then it, we had sex. It lasted just a few minutes. And in what position did you have that sex? I, I was on top. Was that at his request, or did you do that? Uh, yeah, that is what he wanted, he asked for. Okay, did you all complete the sex act? Yes, sir. What happened then? I went to the bathroom and cleaned up and got dressed and came back into the room. And what was Mr. Johns doing at that time? He was just sitting, he, he was still sitting there with a sheet over him. So I just gathered my things up and started to leave. And he said, well, wait a minute, I, I will walk you to the car. Did he walk you to the car? Yeah, he got the, he took the suitcase and unlocked it and took his gun back out and put it back in his pants. And we walked down to the car. What happened when you got to the car? He looked at the car and he asked how much it was worth and things like that. And he said he had so many vehicles that all of them together didn't come to that amount. And it was crazy to spend that much on a car. And then he asked about the, then he said, could he look at it? Or he said, scoot over. And I said, why? And he said, I want to look at your car. So I got out and let him sit in it. I said, sit in it and look. And he got in and he started looking at the T-top and he said something about how I would cheat the insurance company or something. He said, you've got a fortune here if you just knew what to do with it, how to steal them and then report it stolen or something. He was telling me about the T-tops and uh, then he got out of the car and I sat back down and he said, scoot over. And I said, why? And he said, we've got to go get one of your friends for a drug bust. Okay. Now, at the time that you went out to the car, you were aware that he had the gun. Is that correct? Yes. And when you got to the car, where was the gun? In his pants. And after he said to scoot over and that we have got to get one of your friends for a drug bust, what did you do? John continues persuading Linda to turn on her friends. She refuses. She'll happily go to jail herself, but the thought of putting her friends in harm's way is intolerable. She more or less says, do what you want to me, just leave my friends alone. Also, Linda still thinks that at this point, John's is an officer, a Texas Ranger, even after he has threatened to shoot her. 
She thinks that Johns just wants to arrest her friends. We know that he doesn't. He wants to kill them, maybe rape them, and possibly both. In order to gain access to Linda's friends, Johns explains that he needs to take her car. Once he has this, he has access to a new circle of victims. When he pulls up, they think it's her, so they get in, and they disappear. I said, no, arrest me. I said, just please, just arrest me. And he said, no. I didn't have any track marks or anything, any drugs on me. And I said, well, what if I just take off running? And he said, I'll shoot you and say you tried to escape. So I said, well, please don't arrest any of my friends. I can't take it. And he said, well, I've got to have your car so that they will trust me enough to get in the car. And he said, I'm not going to arrest any of your friends. I just want to find one of them that is holding something so that I can, and that I won't bust them. I'll just make them tell me the name of where they got it. Because he said, we don't want the little people. We want this, a big drug bust. And after he said to scoot over and that we've got to get one of your friends for a drug bust, what happened then? Uh, He made me, he said, I even asked him if I could drive. I said, just, you know, and he said, well, no, I am not going to wreck your car. So I got in the passenger side and he got in and started to drive. What happened then? I asked him if we could stop at the store to take, he said, I said, uh, he said we could tape up the $100 bills. And I said, well, let's stop at the store so that I could tape them up. And he said, no, we will get it later. And we drove to uh, Catch One, the parking lot down at the end of the street. Did you at any time get the other two halves of the $100 bills from Jerry Johns? No, sir. Okay, did you at any time give Jerry Johns the two halves of the $100 bills that were in your car? No, sir. Did you at any time tell him where they were? No. So after you got to the parking lot of Catch One, what happened? Uh, he pulled over and he said it wasn't time for her to get off yet so that we would have to wait on her. And uh, he said, let me have your t-shirt. And I said, what for? And he said, I'm just kinky. So I just took it off and I gave it to him and he started ripping it and he ripped it in strips and he said, I've got to tie you up. And so he tied my hands together and he tied my feet together and uh, then he, uh, he let me smoke a cigarette when my hands were tied together. I asked him if I could and he said yes and had rolled the window down a little bit and let me smoke a cigarette. And there he tied my hands to my feet and uh, then he put a gag on me and I started choking and I said, I I can't breathe through my nose. And he said, okay, and he took it and he tied, he took a little bitty strip and tied it so, and so that I could breathe. What happened then? He said, he looked at his watch and he said, it's not that he, uh, well, he had to take me to another unit. And I said, well, just let me lay in the floorboard. She won't see me. And he said, no, she will see you. And he said, I've got to get her. He said, I've got to get her to get in the car so that I can catch her with some drugs on her. 
and he said, I'm going to take you to another unit and leave you there until I get her in the car. Then I will come back and get you. Did you voluntarily do all this? Did you want to be tied up by Mr. Johns? No, sir. He said he would kill me if I tried to leave or if I screamed. One of the surprising things about Linda's story is her continued faith in John's story that he was an officer, even throughout his repeated threats to murder her. Sadly, as we know from earlier episodes, this was not a matter of naivety. Law enforcement has long established patterns of mistreatment of sex workers, and especially of the kind that work along the interstate. But of course, John doesn't have any real protection under the law. He has to sneak around with Linda in the passenger seat, and he has to pretend like he isn't sneaking around. He has to avoid the police without appearing to avoid the police. So if you're a smart guy like John's, what do you do? How do you disguise the fact that you're looking around frantically to be sure you haven't been spotted or followed? You act like you're looking for fellow squad cars. You look around and pretend to be frustrated that the rest of your friends on the police force aren't following you into the woods. So this is what Johns did. He disguised his furtive glances as those of a frustrated ranger looking for the rest of his unit. In reality, he was taking her to a place where no one could hear her scream. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. And what happened then? Uh, He drove me. We drove down Interstate 40 West, and he kept looking around, and he said he was mad because he said the other unit wasn't where it was supposed to be. So uh, on Watt Road, he turned on Watt Road and went to the end of the road there. He went left, and he stopped at the end of the road, and there was a little house, and he just stopped and looked around. Then he backed up, and pulled back on the interstate going east. And then he pulled over on the side of the road and he said, I'm going to have to leave you here. And uh, he stopped the car and he got out and he left the car running and came over to my side and uh, he started like he was going to lift me out, but he couldn't. He couldn't move my arms around. I was just where he had them tied together and he said, I'm going to have to untie. He said, I'm going to have to untie your feet. So he cut them and untied my feet and just left my hands and the gag on my mouth. And he said, just walk out through here and be real quiet. And he took my arm and walked me down through the woods. 
Did he say anything at that time as to what was going to happen to you, Miss Shack? He... I kept asking him if he was going to kill me, and he said no, he wasn't going to hurt me. He said, all we want, he said he wasn't going to arrest me, and he wasn't going to hurt me, but he said it was just, it was just a drug bust, and that he would come back and get me. What happened then? Uh, we, he brought me down to the woods, and then he, I thought he was going to tie me back up. That is what he said he was going to do. And he pulled the gun out of his pants and pointed it at me, and What? He... If I might interrupt, what position were you in at the time that he did that? I believe I was sitting down because I looked up and he was holding the gun on me, and he... I screamed, and he said, shut up, and I did, and uh, he came over to me and took the gag off my mouth and just held it in his hand, and I said, are you going to kill me? And he said, yes, and I said, why? And he said, because you are a nuisance, and that was it. What did he do then? He strangled me. How did he strangle you? With the strip he had taken off my mouth, and he wrapped it around my neck. What did he do? He just had, he just wrapped it around tight. I don't know. It is just that. I just... What happened to you during this time? Well, I just... It just seemed like it took forever, and I couldn't even move, but so I was just paralyzed, and I was just, it was so awful that I just fell down, just collapsed so that he wouldn't kill me. I just wanted to hurry and die, so I just fell down. Did you at some point lose consciousness? Yes, sir. Did you hear anything? I remember hearing leaves rattling. That's it. I, I just remember the rattling of the leaves. To recap, Linda's been strangled, not choked for a little while, but all the way strangled, and somehow she survived. If you remember our description of strangulation at the beginning of this series, you'll have some idea of her physical state at this moment. She can't see. She can barely hear. All her sense perceptions have narrowed to one elemental phenomenon. She knows that she's in the woods because she hears, however faintly, the rattling of leaves. At this point, the avioli in her lungs have burst, and their fluid is leaking into the interstitial spaces that surround them. Her larynx is partially crushed, and blood vessels throughout her head and face have ruptured. She is bleeding into her cornea and sclera, and probably all the way back to her retina. She's still grasping for air and looks as though someone has dropped food collaring onto the whites of her eyes. The killer finishes his attack, and she somehow didn't die. Did at some point you regain consciousness? Yes. When I, I woke up... Where were you? I was in a culvert. It was, I could feel, and it was uh, just this round hole like. What did you do? Well, I laid there because I thought he was wanting to watch me suffer. I just laid there where I was at and I waited just a few seconds and I couldn't hear anything. And I, I didn't know whether he was there or gone. And I just thought, well, 
I was going to die anyway, so I just started crawling. What did you do? I crawled out of this hole, and I could hear traffic. I couldn't see or anything, but I could hear traffic. And I tried, I tried, I tried to pull the thing off my neck. It was so tight, I couldn't get a finger in it or anything. And there was, I couldn't breathe. So I just crawled up the bank toward the traffic that I could hear. What did you do then? Well, when I got to the top, I could, I pulled it, strand by strand until I could get the thing off my neck. And then when I was able to, I crawled out into the interstate and I could tell I could hear vehicles going by. So I just walked into the interstate and I got, I must have been in the middle because I could, I felt grass again. And then I saw, I could tell lights were going by. So I just ran and waved my arms so somebody would stop. And then that's when a truck had pulled over, and I ran towards them. And then I ran away because I was afraid they were going to kill me, too. I didn't realize I couldn't tell who it was because I couldn't see, so I ran away from them. And then I realized that I was going to die right there in the middle of the interstate, so I just, I thought I had to go toward them. Did you tell them what happened to you? Well, you know, I was real... I was scared. I started telling them. I started saying, he tried to kill me. And I would say, don't kill me. Don't kill me. Because I couldn't. I, I didn't know whether they were going to kill me or help me. And I tried to tell them that, what had happened, that he, somebody had killed me or tried to kill me. But And did you stand with them for a while? Yeah. They let me sit in their truck while they called for somebody to take me to the hospital. After that happened, did somebody come and take you to the hospital? A police officer did. Was that Trooper Larry Parsley? Uh-huh. And where did you go to the hospital? At a Park West emergency room. Were you treated there? Yes, sir. Did you talk to Detective Larry Johnson there? Yeah, while I was in the emergency room. Now, keep in mind, Linda still thinks Johns is an officer. At this point, she has no idea who the good guys are, or if there are any. By all accounts, we've heard Detective Johnson is one of the good ones, but Linda doesn't know this. As far as she knows, she's dealing with one of Jerry's compatriots. Did you talk to Officer Parsley, Trooper Parsley, about what had happened? Yeah, uh, I was telling him, uh, at first I thought he was going to kill me because I kept thinking that the whole law enforcement was in on it, that it was a drug bust, and I thought I was in the way of their drug bust, so I kept saying I wouldn't, I didn't want to go with him because I was afraid he would kill me, but then I, it, it, he, he said, are you going with me or not? He said, do you want to go to the hospital or not? And I got... And I went, and he said, then I started telling him that he was going to kill Shannon, that Jerry Johns had went back to get Shannon, that he had to find her because they were going to kill her. Did you give Trooper Parsley a description of your automobile? Yes, sir, I did. Why did you do that? Huh? Why did you give him a description of your car? Because we had driven there in my car, and I know Jerry Johns was in my car. Later in the trial, the prosecution introduces photographs of the drain where Linda was found, and also of her injuries on the night of her kidnapping. 
Even knowing the details of the case, the images are startling. If you're interested, you can find them on our website. The Knox County Medical Examiner, Dr. Fred Furr, is called to the stand to testify as to Linda's condition on the night of the crime. Okay, if we might go back, what is cyanosis of the face? That is a cyanosis, is the blue color that one gets when there's not enough oxygen into the tissue. Like, if you put a tourniquet around your arm, the hand would turn blue. And that would be medically cyanosis. How long would it take to turn that shade of blue? Oh, five minutes, probably. That would be the air cut off for approximately five minutes to reach that shade of blue. Ah, I... Actually, I think what we're talking about here is not cyanosis, but actual extravasation of blood into the tissue, which looked like cyanosis at the time in the emergency room. But the next day it was obviously the blood that had engorged the tissue and swelled the face. And what is that caused by? That's caused by pressure on the veins in the neck, which restrict the blood flow back to the heart. But the pressure was not tight enough to obliterate the flow of blood through the arteries going into the head. So the blood just kept pumping into the head, and because of the ties around the neck, it couldn't return, and the tissues just blew up. Later in this testimony, Dr. Furr is asked to refer to Linda's admission summary. Okay, and what was that diagnosis? Strangulation with subconjunctival hemorrhages, not legible, of both eyes. And the second one is ecchymosis of the face and forehead and pressure marks around the neck. And what are subconjunctival hemorrhages? Yes, this is bleeding under the membrane that covers the white of the eye. Dr. Fur, I will show you what has been previously introduced as Collective Exhibit 3 and ask you if this slows the conditions that you're speaking of in this admitted diagnosis. Yes, it does. And would you point out to the jury the conditions concerning Mrs. Shack's eyes? If you notice around the iris of the eye, the red where it is supposed to be white, it is all red. This is blood that has been forced out into the tissue under the conjunctiva, which is the membrane over the eye. And were these parts on her neck also a part of your... Is that the second part of you admitting diagnosis? Yes, those are the pressure marks around the neck. If we might return to the emergency summary, emergency sheet, is it true, Dr. Fur, that that states that material used to tie her wrist still tied in place? Okay, yes. It was still tied in place on the right wrist when she was admitted to the emergency room. And it also refers to petechial hemorrhaging. What is that, Dr. Fur? There are the small hemorrhages that are visible in this picture, especially on the forehead here, the little discoloration. It is the same thing, again, that you would get when you were a kid and you sucked on your arm and you got blue spots. This was a petechial hemorrhage on your arm, and these are little petechial hemorrhages on the forehead, on the cheek, down around the jaw. And these are again caused by the blood vessels bursting as a result of the cutoff to the veins, is that correct? That is correct. 
throughout Linda's testimony, we remained puzzled by one thing in particular. We knew it wasn't that big of a deal, but it still bothered us. Linda was a brunette. We weren't able to make sense of this until a brief exchange at the very end of the trial, when Shane saw her picture from the hospital that night. The attorney actually brought this up at trial while he was making a flimsy and doomed case that this client was colourblind. Linda, though a brunette, had dyed her hair red at the time of the crime. What colour was your hair at that time? It had a red tint to it. A red tint? Or was it bright red? Or was it subdued? It wasn't bright red. In the next episode, we're going to meet Jerry Johns through his ex-wife, Phyllis, who offered to discuss the man she knew. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.